hip-hop tracks ever it seldom gets ever gets talked about when speaking about incredible hip-hop records but it makes sense that this incredible record still remains a hip-hop afterthought after all the group's name is quote-unquote lords of the underground indicating within their title that they are and may never be the first thing people talk about when referencing groups and songs in the hip-hop pantheon which ironically enough leads us to our podcast topic today the importance of judicial elections now i know what you're saying How does it even tie into one another? Well, I'm glad you asked. The term underground in Webster's Dictionary defines it as something beneath the surface. And in hip-hop description terms, it's an adjective to represent something that isn't mainstream or super popular by the masses. To take it further, in hip-hop, the term underground means ideally purity, not infiltrated by corporate dollars, sponsorship, and influence. Have people focus on the music and not the superfluous. As far as black culture is concerned, The term underground is littered with many meanings. Of course, the most important lexicon is the Underground Railroad, which was used as a passage way for slaves escaping freedom and information passing for abolitionists alike. The use and importance of the term underground carries with it a symbiology of historical context within the black culture. Sometimes meaning that its importance is so great and sacred that we are protective and therefore shielded from its unintended influence. I suppose judicial elections are sort of the same thing, with the idea that they are nonpartisan races designed to remove the toxic nature of political discourse. Whether you're Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Independent, Green Party, whatever, it really makes no difference. These races are designed not to bring partisan attitudes, but to keep it pure, ideally at least. It seems like in every election season, we are bombarded with overtures of interest surrounding the topic of the, tip- the top of the t- ticket. And understandably so. Certain positions within elections are sexy. Positions such as president, governor, senate, and congress all take up our collective consciousness and interest. Well, ironically though, as important as the positions are and titles are, they actually weigh less of importance than judicial elections, especially when it comes to the needs and interests of the black community. Yet election after election, this position and many other important local election titles are ignored. Judges unquestionably have an incredible power and influence in the makeup and construction of our society. And despite their elections often placed in secondary conversations not worthy of the mainstream discussion, i.e. underground look, they are ostensibly speaking the lords of the law, in which they can decide the fate of many people based on their interpretation of the law, especially in the black community. 
Judges impact our lives uh, immeasurably, whether dealing with sentencing, family law issues, or even civil business disputes. A judge's decision can, can and will affect the outcome of your life. If law governs our lives, the judges and judge the judges govern our laws, then it makes sense that for them to take a position as the most important election. The idea that judicial elections are being identified as underground holds merit. Not only do we have them removed from political ideology and thus campaign, their campaigning is different, but even judges in their capacity are heavily scrutinized in their daily interactions, from going out to lunch with peers to being on certain boards. The lifestyle of a judge is to be removed from everyday normal functions of society without the seduction of popular, corporate, or societal influences. But how does one who has such an impact and authority over the law and thus society still remain one with the community in which they serve? How do they campaign? How can one remain lords of the underground and yet operate above ground in mainstream society? These are the questions that we look to answer in today's podcast. And, you know, honestly, this is a two-part podcast because we're going to have two judicial candidates giving their opinion. So settle in. Welcome back to Uncultured Bias Podcast. I'm your host, the resident hip-hop funky child, Kamara Williams. Let's go. So... Thank you for joining me, Judge Chu. Well, thanks for having me, Kamara. Yeah. It's an honor. An honor. Well, we'll see after this podcast. You might feel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you've done a little bit of recording. A little bit. Okay. So I was looking at your bio a little bit. Yeah. You know, guitar and all that. Um, Want to get into that. But I do think we have a, we have a mutual interest What's or that? mutual background. Um, not only are my parents, uh, parent immigrants, uh, immigrant parents and they got became naturalized citizens but you used to uh, run your parents restaurant well i mean running is a is a you know i, I mean i work there uh okay yeah <laughs> i mean i was you know the thing is with a lot of because it was a chinese restaurant yeah. you know is you know when you're like you know when you're the kid you get stuck. You get put up at the front because your English is better than everybody else. You know. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> so by appearances, I was running it. But really, I was just answering the phone. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, yeah. My parents back. Um, they used to have a couple of restaurants, and I, uh, you know, I was a child running their restaurant, doing orders. Um, you know, handling the, uh, I, you know, the, I guess the shipment and all that other stuff, and they actually. Just really running the business. They wanted me to learn how to be an entrepreneur and run the business and do time schedules and all that. So um, it was an experience. And I think, honestly, because they put me in the front a lot um, and I was still a child, I, was, I had to learn how to, uh, like, communicate with different forms of people all the time and the personalities and, and how to, like, manage personalities, whether it's employees or customers mm-hmm. And I think that had a very intrinsic way of how I see people, how I view people, how I communicate with people, um, and how I look at service and how I look at just um, just interaction. Did you find that in your history a little bit? Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. When you know, because I mean, I was like 13 years old. Yeah, you know, and I'm interacting with people uh, in a in in sort of a you know in a business context. But you know, it was that, and I mean, I was. So I'm the oldest, mm-hmm. you know, I've got, I've got some younger siblings, but I'm, I'm sort of by far the oldest. So, you know, with my folks I, at an early age, 11, 12 years old, they'd be on the phone with like customer service or yeah. something. They'd stick me on the phone, Yeah, you know, because they're like, Oh, you, you, you talk to them. Your English is good. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that also was a big part of it. I mean, I was, I was sort of their interpreter to the world and, mm. you know, 
Um, so I think, yeah, from a young age, you just, you sort of learn to, you know, to, um, kind of read cues and stuff like that. Mm, like, yeah, just learn how to like pick up on tendencies and pick up on people and how to, you know, um, just manage personalities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I know we jumped ahead a little bit. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience, um, you know, and who you are and what you're doing and why are you on this podcast? Sure. Um, (laughs) Well, uh, I'm Vince Chu. I'm a, a circuit judge uh, in the Ninth Circuit, so that's Orange and Osceola County. Um, I've been uh, I've been in that role for just under three years uh, since uh, late 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a family judge for a couple of years, and then I was uh, now I'm sitting in in civil, uh, handling cases, uh, you know, lawsuits and things like that. Uh, prior to that, I was uh, with the U.S. Attorney's Office mm-hmm. um, with the Department of Justice. For about twelve years, um, you know, did all kinds of uh, cases, um, you know, hate crimes, and terrorism, um, cybercrime. They were kind of my yeah. specialties, uh, but uh, you know, did all kinds of other stuff as well. Uh, and then I was a uh, I was a state attorney up in Ohio for uh, about four years before that. Okay, wow. So from Ohio, now you were born in uh, well, you came in Pennsylvania. New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and then Ohio. Well, yeah. So, um, so my folks came to the United States about a year or so before I was born. I was raised in New Jersey, just right outside of Philly. Yeah. So you yeah. know, um, I, I tell people I'm from Philly because it's yeah. You know, it, it was basically in the Philly suburbs, mm. uh, and then I went to Rutgers for a couple of years, and yeah. then I went to uh, a little Christian school out in Ohio. Um, Funny story, and I don't want to get off on too much. No, of this, a, is, this is you've done. I, I don't know. Have you ever done done pods before? A little bit, yeah. Okay, so this literally the vibe. <laughs> it's a vibe check. We just kind of go. So, so I um, so I was I, I finished uh, after college, and I was the first person in my family to you know to finish college, mm. um, really by default because I'm the oldest. Right. But uh, <laughs> but um, I really didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. Yeah, uh, I had applied to some law schools, gotten into some law schools, but I actually went uh, to out on the mission field uh, on a missions trip to South Africa, mm. and this is in the '90s, so I was a little bit Just right uh, after, like right, like about ten years removed from apartheid. Not even. I mean, it was. I mean, it it apartheid. The the process was still yeah kind of ongoing. I mean, it was fresh. I mean, I'd mm-hmm. say it was less than ten years, probably. Yeah. Um, so I was, you know, I was a little hesitant cause I was kind of like, uh, you know, yeah. um, you just, you know, it's like, oh, it's a bunch of people that are going to, going to, you know, going to be hating on me, Yeah, you know? And, um, but I, I went there and I, I just, I really fell in love with that country, with the, with the people, with the, with the vibe, because, you know, the thing about a country that is going through stuff like that, that's so on the surface yeah. is that. That everything is is very much on the surface, and mm-hmm. it, it there's a lot of challenges there, and there's a lot of hard things, but there was also something refreshing about that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and my job was to, you know, was we were the was to build up new churches, sort of for this new South Africa, mm-hmm. um, and I was leading worship and. Uh, so they, they wanted someone to stay and do a radio station and train mm. worship leaders. And I was like, I'm going to do it. 
Uh, I'll find a way to explain it to my parents. And <laughs> I was like, I'm going to sign up tomorrow. And um, so I went to bed that night thinking that tomorrow I was going to become a international missionary, come home, raise yeah. money, and go back. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I slept on it. I prayed about it. And the next morning I get an email from the Ohio State University mm. saying that uh, you uh, – saying that they, they someone had donated $30 million to the school – and they wanted to offer me a full ride to law school Ooh. with a with a living stipend. Ooh. Um, and but I only had three days to t- to give them an answer. Oh, so I took that as a, a sign uh, or a rejection letter from God. I don't know. No, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a no. call to something different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and so and it was because of that. So I went to law school, but because of that, and and because of that whole backdrop, that's kind of how I ended up on the path I went on because mm. I felt I felt like I had. You know, I didn't have a bunch of debt, yeah, monetary debt, but I felt like I owed a debt because of mm. what I had been given, yeah. and I um, like that. so that's why you know I, I went into public service and, and really wanted to pursue that, um, just because I, I felt like I had that a spiritual opportunity, debt. a spiritual yeah. debt. Uh, let's let's kind of like dive into that a little bit. I sure. like that. Um, all this is like the eighty six podcast. I've never heard anybody say spiritual debt before. That's a great term. Um, when you hear, when you say that term, like let's deconstruct that. What does that mean to you? Well, I mean, and I know I, clearly religion is yeah. you know your faith is is a really big part of your life and your structure. But yeah. well, what, what's funny is that actually in in forty three years of life, I don't think I've ever used the term spiritual debt. So that's really yeah, yeah. <laughs> that just sort of came out. Yeah. Um, I, for me, it just means that um, I've I've been I've been blessed with a lot. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've been, you know, I've had my challenges like a lot of people, but I've also had just a lot that's bounced my way in life. And I feel, and I really felt, feel like I, I, I have some obligation, um, to do something with that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because, uh, you know, when you catch a lucky bounce, you gotta do something with it. Yeah. You know, I, I actually, um, like I said, I've never heard it crystallized like that. But yeah, there my life is littered with um good fortune. Um, sometimes undeserved, right? Um and you know, I do ha- feel like internally I have a spiritual debt to people or to thing or to the world or to to, to a community um that it's never going to be fil- fulfilled. And you know, it's why I often have to I, mean, I I lend myself, whether monetarily or, you know, physically to people and their causes because I understand, like you said, I've gotten lucky bounce a lot of times. And it's weird, you know, I'm not in public service, but I always say you don't have to be in public service to serve the public. Absolutely. You know, and so um, I'm, you know, it's like I'm fortunate. I think, you know, when you delve into the spirituality of the of the world and you and the universe and you tap into that um it's always gonna it's this thing inside it's always gonna be a reminder that you always have to like think beyond yourself mm-hmm. you know i don't know if that you you believe in that principle or, or absolutely yeah. i mean i the um <clears throat> i mean absolutely i i think that it you know we um we are the whole idea of 
whether we're, like I said, public service or yeah. or doing other things, if we're passionate about the community in which we belong, yeah. um, I think it's hard not to use our time, our treasure, our, um, you know, whatever skills or gifts that we have mm. um, to impact it. And, and, and frankly, that's why I went into law, because I felt like, you know, Laws. I always tell people, law is not necessarily the the easiest way to make a buck. It is not. <laughs> it is not. <laughs> Remember that. Remember <Okay>. that. <laughs> but um, I, I think it is. It's a field where you, where the the variety of things that we can do, yeah, to improve other people's lives is is so vast, yeah, and, and so varied, yeah, yeah. It's it's multifaceted in that you know there's not one law. In fact. You know, people come like, can you do this? I'm like, I don't practice that type of law. But be, it just shows you, though, it has tentacles in different functions of society. And depending on how you use it and how it's operated, it can be both a avatar for good or for destruction, you know, and people obviously use it. And so um, on a quick tangent, uh, Judge Chu, are you a big Star Wars fan? I'm like a medium star wars fan so you've you, i'm just saying because chu i'm sure have you heard that yes. calling chew? okay all right <laughs> yes yeah at the, when i was at the u.s attorney's office they called me chewy they called you chewy yeah, they called me chewy yeah okay all right are you have you been watching this new star wars I, the obi-wan yeah i haven't seen it yet i, I mean with the campaign i got yeah, yeah, i got yeah. three small kids i just yeah, yeah, I haven't yeah. gotten around to it let's get into the campaign so listen <laughs> one of the things i think is interesting um in in just how judges operate is that you guys have to almost remain both a part of the a part of society and and a part away, you know like you know not being part of society right mm-hmm. and in your campaigning it's nonpartisan yet you have to be it's an, it's an election like it's almost right. like <laughs> you know and so like how has that been like I mean I, I would imagine because you were appointed to the bench mm-hmm. so this is your first time campaigning yep. How has that been like your first time on the campaign trail? I mean, it's been a challenge. Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, it's time away from the family. It's, um, you know, it, it's, it, so it's, and it's a lot of work. So that part's been a challenge. It has been, although it's also been a really wonderful experience in some ways because, you know, you're out there and you're, you're interacting with people that, I mean, you just would never have a reason to otherwise, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I think it's challenging because the other part that's challenging is you you have to sort of, you're trying to disabuse the people of the notion that this is, um, this is some like a partisan political process. Yeah. Um, You know, because it's constantly get like, which party are you? It's like, well, I'm I'm not running on a party because these are nonpartisan elections. Yeah. Um, You know, and. But we're still on a still on a ballot, though, right? And it's like right, it's yeah. still a ballot, <laughs> right? And so, and then people are like, "Well, what am I supposed to pick?" I was like, "Well, you know, it's." And then you really the challenges is that you hope that people um, do research on the people on, on the candidates, yeah, and, and just pick and, and pick someone based upon their qualifications, their temperament, their. Yeah. And it's hard, though. You know, it's hard to know that unless you know you know lawyers and you can talk to lawyers, right? Who who have sort of the firsthand experience with people. Yeah. I always, every election season, I always get like a bunch of text messages and inbox. What judge should I elect? 
and it's like, oh, like I don't know. I mean, like I mean, I know, but it's like I get them from like Orange and Osceola and Seminole, and I haven't been in front of every judge. So then I find myself now I have to be the researcher for every single judge on the ballot for both Orange, Osceola, and um, and obviously Seminole. You know, because as, as again as a lawyer, I don't practice in front of every judge, right. so my interactions are not there with them. But it shows you just how very little that judges interact with the public on a normal basis, not by nature, you know, but by na- not by personal nature, by nature of the position. Mm-hmm. You know, am I am I correct on that? Yeah, I mean, I I think um, although and and some of that is it is by nature of the position, and some of it is by sort of the lack of necessity. Uh, mm. <laughs> so, I, I mean... Walk I, through that. I don't understand Well, I, I think, you know, judges... A, a lot of times people don't know who the judges are terribly well um, because, you know, they haven't gone through this process. Yeah. You know, once you start going through this process, people start to, you know, get a better feel for you if you're out there. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and doing stuff. And I, I think, you know, there, there's a two-part... There's, there's two facets to these judicial elections. One is the sort of experience the the list of things mm-hmm. um you know the someone's sort of kind of paper qualifications mm-hmm. you know and you know so, i mean look i, I mean i could tell people I, look i spent the last 18 years trying cases mm-hmm. you know doing complicated cases but that's only one part of the equation the other part of the equation that people want to know and i think that's harder for people to know and really they they can only largely get from lawyers or personal interactions is who is this person? Mm-hmm. What is this person's heart? Um, what motivates them? Yeah. What's, you know, what kind of, um, just what kind of approach do they do they have to the job? And, you know, that that's the part of the process that is, that's what the election is, is for to some degree is to get out and, and for people to get a read for you and to, and to look you in the eye and see who what you're made of. Mm. I do like that. You know, that it's designed to remove people, remove the judges from, you know, no offense, but from high up on the bench and put them in, you know, the, you know, in the crowd, in the gallery almost. Right. And let people for the first time, especially if you're appointed like to like, all right, you're you're judging case, but let's finally get to really know you. Um, are you an introvert or extrovert? Probably an extrovert. You're an extrovert. OK, so sometimes when pe- I say this is, you know, I've had some history in politics dealing with candidates and the first thing I would try to figure out, are you introvert or extrovert? And it's, it's amazing when people are introverts and running for office because it's like, well, you got to break out of that introvert shell. Well, I'm an, I'm, I'd say I'm an extrovert, but I'd, I'd much rather, I'd much rather sit and talk to you like this than to work a room. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I don't know. I, I mean, there's a lot of nuance probably between ex- extrovert. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. You know, it's, but it's like, it's how is that like working a room? Like, it's kind of like it's awkward, right? For some people, for me, it's, I don't, I don't consider working a room. I just kind of like, I'm just talkative. I like I to mean, talk to everybody. Yeah, I, I sort of look at it like I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make ten thousand friends. You know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Um, but you know, that's it's you know, it, it's 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 harder because you you're kind of like okay, well, I. I can't spend 10 minutes with everybody, you know? So, mm, yeah. Um, you know, with campaigning though, like it's the figuring out how to give a message to people, like why they should reelect you. Mm-hmm. Right. So let's get into that. 
Um, you've sat on the, the family bench, family law bench for a while, um, and now you're doing civil. Uh, kind of like, without giving too many details, mm-hmm. but was there in so you had three years right on the family law bench? Two years. Two years. Oh. Two years on a family law bench. Was there a case, or give me a scenario of a case, especially dealing with, um, you know, again, this podcast primarily deals with this, um, you know, black households or whatnot, but like that really was something like that stuck with you, stuck to the bones. There's always one case. Like for me, and it can, or, and you can, two part, I'm sorry. I want you to tell me a case while you're sitting in a bench and something when you were at the U.S. Attorney's Office, like that really like, like man, it stuck with you because there's always a few cases years later you're like I still think about this case and how it changed the way I saw the world or saw people or saw scenarios is there I'm assuming is there a case that that you felt like like that okay let me think through this on the bench mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know I uh one case that comes to mind I remember there was a and I won't name any names but there was a there was a it was a custody case, mm. and I think the dad had a lawyer and the mom didn't. I think the mom was defaulted too, which means that she never filed like a response to the initial, you know, the initial complaint. So, right. and if that, you know, for those of the those of the people that don't don't know, it's it kind of puts you in a strategic disadvantage because there's a there's there's you, you kind of only have like half. Uh, of a right to argue your case when you're defaulted. Yeah. Um, but with child custody issues, I mean, the court still's got. I still have to make a determination what's in the best interest of the child. So you always, you know, you hear from both sides mm-hmm. with regard to that. And you know, the lawyer who did a great job presented the dad's testimony, and they went through all the factors, and it was tight and it was clean. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, then you know, but and then there was a couple things that they would, you know, you know, the I think the the dad said, oh, the kids. I have two boys. There's two boys. I remember. It's like they really like vegetables, um, and one, but one likes fruit better. One likes fruit better, and one likes vegetable better. And I'm like, I got three kids. I'm like, I don't, I don't know about that. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> so the mom gets on, and she's a mess, right. you know. And she, but she just starts talking, you know, and she just talks about the kids, and she's like, and she's and she's crying, and she's like, I don't know. I don't know who he's talking about. My kids don't eat vegetables. <laughs> they like McDonald's. Right. I remember she said something like, at one time we went to Olive Garden and they really liked this one thing. Yeah. And, and I remember thinking like, that makes sense. This is real. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah. And even though the other person had a better laid out case, just did everything on paper, you know, yeah. you're, you're looking through it and you're like, and you're applying your own life experience. Cause yeah. as a, you know, it's like, and this is the challenge when, with the, as a judge is how much of your own experience do you bring into it? Mm. But I mean, understanding an understanding of children and child rearing is, mm-hmm. is one of those things that I think you're supposed to bring into it. Right. And you're kind of like, and you're making credibility decisions. And I'm like, I believe her. Yeah. You know, even though she's defaulted, you know, even though she hasn't done any of the things that she needed to do, mm-hmm. you know, on the papers, you know, I still have to weigh credibility. And I was like, I believe her. Yeah. Uh, and I remember thinking that cause it, and, and the lo- other lawyer did a great job. It wasn't right. like a lawyer thing. Yeah. Um, it was listening to two people and, and, and really seeing through to the heart of it as to what was going on. Um, so I, I, that one really stuck out to me. Um, so, you know, what I, what I hear is that you kind of pierce through 
you know, the superfluous ideal of like legal president legal presentation and you look at the humanity of the subject or of the person presenting the case. And I think sometimes judges forget to impart humanity into a case. There's always like the black black letter law, right? Black and white. And um, when you're looking for a judge, you always try to say, hey, like, yeah, these are things that are important to case law, the, you know, the statute, right? You know, the precedents, you know, the filings on the right time. But it's appealing to a judge and be like, listen, this is, I'm, I know I don't, we speak French on this program, but like, this is fucked up, judge. Like, this is like, this is not like, <laughs> this is, I know, I know it looks like this in this way, but come on, like, look at the case through human eyes, like not through the law, but just through human eyes. And it, I know it's hard to b- counterbalance that sometimes, but I think sometimes society, we, we don't, we take away the humanity of a subject. And listen, for a judge, you are in a tough position because you have to like the law always has to take place. But, and I don't know, I, this is why I'll never be a judge because I'll get kicked off the bench, but I feel like, you know, more judges should take on human, take on it. That's part of, part of the job. Like you should take on your human experience, your real life experience. You talked about child rearing. You talked about like, I know kids, my kids don't eat vegetables. Like they don't eat vegetables. Like McDonald's. Yes, my kids eat McDonald's. Like you know, chicken, chicken nuggets and fries. That's right. their that's their diet staple. Like you know, and I have to push them to eating like fruits and you know vegetables and everything like that. So, but I often think like judges don't don't do that sometimes, and I think that's heartbreaking. That that as a practicing attorney, that I feel that, and so I'm glad to hear that story. Honestly. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts? Like, you know, taking your life experiences, like, do you find the challenges in that? I think, well, so as a, you know, as a judge, there are times yeah, where, and really there are times where you are the, you know, so, you know, for me, if I'm looking at credibility, yeah, I mean, I, I you yeah. do have to look at, you know, you bring your common sense, you bring all of that to the table. Mm. I mean, that's in the jury instructions, you know, when you, when you try a case of the jury, is it, mm-hmm. you, you bring that your common sense to the table, you know, in, you know, if you're you're sentencing someone, I mean, that's that's also one of these places where, which I haven't done because I, I've right. been in civil and, and and family, but that's one of the, these places where you are making you have you have you have some degree of discretion that you're and you're trying to figure out how you're going to utilize that discretion. Yeah, which I think is a very different thing than if I, you know, if I see a law and I don't like it and I'm just going to ignore it. Well, I can't right. do that, yeah. you know? Right. But I mean, there are, especially in family and in some other places in law where, mm. yeah, you, you, you are, you're, you're asking a judge to sort of make judgment calls. Mm-hmm. And I think that is where, you know, I think the humanity is, is most important. Mm. Um, and, and frankly, I think humanity is always important in, in terms of how you are doing what you're doing. Um, you know, I, I think in family in particular, it's like a lot of times I may be ruling against somebody, but I, I really want to do it in a way where they understand what's happening. Yeah. Where they understand why I'm doing it. Yeah. Um, because I think that it, when that's the case, they, there's a better chance that, that everybody's going to go home and and actually carry this judgment out. Mm. You know, and because at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is you're trying to give this family that's that's breaking up you know, especially when you have child custody issues, mm. a chance, you know, it's best chance of 
being able to functionally move forward. Mm. Um, I think the other part of your question was as, as a youth attorney. Okay. I remember one case, uh, we had this case. It was, we were, we had, um, we had built a case up against a pharmacist Mm. for diverting, um, painkillers. And, uh, the, uh, there was a, there was a informant who went in, who was like the pharmacy tech mm. and made all these recordings of the, you know, of, of him basically doing deals with the pharmacist. Um, and, uh, but I remember the video camera wasn't working. And, um, so we listened to these recordings and it's like, it all added up. Right. Um, and uh, I remember the, the attorney came, uh, so, and, and then the pharmacist got charged, got arrested. The attorney came in, uh, it was Warren Lindsay, actually, who's, you know, uh, I mean, this very well-regarded uh, defense attorney in town. Uh, after a while, he, he came to me, he said, Vince, I don't think my guy's guilty. And, you know, as a prosecutor, you hear that a lot. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Um, less so with, as, as, the, as the feds. Because basically what he's saying is that when the feds have a case against you, 99% chance they're going to get a conviction. They don't waste time. Feds don't waste time. They they build a case. Here's what happens. I'm sorry. Feds build a case against you, and then they notify the defendant after they build the case. There's an old adage. They say the last person to know how strong the case is is a defense attorney in a federal case. Is that You've heard that that's, adage? That's true. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> like, yeah. like the feds know, then the defendant knows. And then it's like, then the defense attorney, after he, they've gone through all the discovery, like, oh, shit, this, my guy's guilty, guilty. <laughs> like, so they spend their time. So anyway, to that, to that point. But actually, I mean, I, um, so I had the agent check it out. Yeah. And I had the, you know, because basically um, the lawyer is like, hey, my guy wasn't around when he was, when he, this guy was talking. He was in the other room. And we had them pull the surveillance videos um, from the, the, the pharmacy itself, mm-hmm. not, not the, the, what, what the, the, the informant was wearing and it checked out. So the informant was talking he'd be talking. And the, when the pharmacist walked out into the other room right. and then the pharmacist would come back and you could, t- you could see that he was, set, he had set him up by asking him sort of like a different question to get a yes. Right. Um, so I mean, you know, we dropped that case, which almost never happens with the feds, right? And and I I think I was I was writing like letters for this guy for years because every time he had to uh, every time he applied for a job or something like that, this right. would come up, right? So I had to write a letter that you know that that he, he was being exo- you know that he had been exonerated, and, yeah. Um, but what's really cool is that that you know that that attorney he's he's co chair of my campaign. He's oh, one of the. Wow. Yeah. You know, and he's one of my biggest advocates out there. So, um, you know. So what I hear from that is that you, you know, sometimes attorneys or even state attorneys or prosecutors or judges, they get so caught up in my optic like, well, we're so far along in this. It's I, I hear you, but, you know, we're going to keep going forward. Mm-hmm. Right. And what you're saying is that you learn to pivot based on new facts, right? And you you don't get so caught up in like, well, you know, we're here now, so we we, we got to keep going forward. Right. It's the difference between winning and justice. Mm. I like that. Yeah. yeah, winning and justice. 
And that's probably, is that something that I would imagine has impacted in the way you see when you sit on that bench? Absolutely. I mean, um, you know, it's, but at the same time, Mm -hmm. you know, it's also my job to stay, to, to not be the story. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. um, and especially in, um, you know, so sometimes you see things that are perhaps not how you would want them to come out, but you kind of have to let it happen because, um, you know, if depending on the case that may, it's, it's, it's not within my role to kind of push this, you know, push things, usually not within my role to push things one way or the other. Right. Um, and it's, you know, and that's, sometimes you see things that, like you said, like I said, you know, you're like, well, that's, that's unfortunate, but it's also, Mm -hmm. you know, um, that's sort of part of the, part of the game. Yeah. So I got to ask you this question. Um, you know, having sat on the family, you're not on family law bench anymore. Mm-hmm. You're in civil, and for most people, they don't realize that judges rotate. Um, I don't know what, what is it. Is there a set time when they rotate? Two to three years. Two to three years. Okay. Yeah. I don't. I never know. I just get, you know, notification. I tell you, I get pissed off when judges get rotate when I really like a judge in the case, <laughs> and I'm like, shit. Like with our case is not resolved yet, and I really like this judge, and then you get another judge where you kind of history kind of like. Like oh crap, you know. Sometimes it works out though when you have a good ju- you have a judge like wasn't really giving you you know you catch a lot of the vapors and then they you know a good judge like you know judge shoe jumps on your cage and like good I like this judge <laughs> reasonable very very reasonable. Um, but when you were sitting on the family law bench, I I feel like there was a and you could tell me if I'm right or wrong here, but you had a chance to see how family law directly impacted like black families mm-hmm. and like what was your like just sitting for arm's length distance like what are some of the things you you noticed or what are some things that you like you wanted to, you, you you found interesting from th- those dynamics just sitting on that bench you know i mean i i'm trying to think through things that are you know i, I don't remember thinking anything sort of particular to to black families but I do I, I will say this is that one of the things that I really saw in general that I think I mean certainly affects black families as well as all families though mm-hmm. is is this in family that you see the most is the ability for um, the ability for people to work together when they're not together mm. with their kids, and and I saw how damaging the inability to do that is for the kids. Now I don't see the kids, right? You know, but you can read between the lines, and you can you can you can read the you can see the fight that's happening between the parents. Yeah. And you can tell in their stories even. Right. Like, you know, and, and I think most people, for the most part, tell stories that are like 95% true. Or most people are going to tell stories <laughs> that make them serve them in, right. the, in the right light. In, in light, but they're, that, are, that contain yeah. a you know, good bit of truth. And even if I take what they're saying in the, right, in the light they want me to, everybody's mm. stories, you just you see how damaging that is for the kids. And then you see those kids... You know, and it's like a it's like a cycle because you see those kids 
first in a paternity case, yeah. and then you see him in a dependency case, mm. and then you see him in a yeah. juvenile case, yeah. and then you see it, him in a criminal case. Yeah, and it, yeah, it yeah. Is, yeah. That is a story that, because sometimes what I'll do is that you'll, you'll look up a, you'll look up a person because you're, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to find their case, but you see then when you, when you look up that person, you see how they appear yeah. in all of these cases and you see it happen over and over again. Yeah. And it really is striking that how much of those start with sort of that custody battle at the beginning. Wow. I never thought about that. Or, or, or not even the custody battle, but just that paternity case. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Like, that's fascinating. You're right. Like, it's a, it starts in the system of paternity, then it goes into all these things, and it's like when it, when a family is, you know, not whole. And I don't and I don't even subscribe to the fact, like, people have to be together in order to be, have a whole family, right? Because you can have situations that work together. Right. You know, it just didn't work out relationship-wise, but relationship internally with the child is what's, you know, keeping everything together. So... I never thought about that though. Like, you know, there is a line of right. between, and I'm not talking about all paternity cases. No, I'm no, no, about, no. And, and, I'm talking about yeah. the the knockdown drag out. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I know, I know what you meant. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I'm glad you 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 put that um, specification. The thing I was often hear, and I don't I don't practice family law, uh, but I hear when, and you could tell me yes or no, and you know, but a lot of times men say the system is designed <laughs> against them, and then women be like, no, that's not the case. Like, but. D- it's, have you heard that statement before? Like men say, it's, the system is designed catered to women I, I in think, family law cases. I think, I think there are generational differences in how how judges probably view hmm. um, societal and gender roles to some degree that probably play into that. I mean, hmm. fascinating. I, I mean, look again, and this is uh, I don't have any I don't have any empirical evidence for this. Right, but right, I, right, I can right, say right. this is that. Right. I'm starting from a perspective where I'm not, I'm not going to say the kid, you know, that I don't, I don't, I don't have the belief that like the mother is, has a different, you know, sort of parental role than the father. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I, I, I but, it, but I also come from, a, I live in a household. My, my wife's an attorney. I do all the cooking. Yeah. You know, we split a lot, you know, of everything else, you know, so but I think a lot of judges probably have a different view and a different experience of what um, sort of family dynamic is. So yeah. I, I think when people, and I think, the, I mean, the law was also different probably 20 years ago. Yeah. I, so I think when people say that, it, it may have to do with some of the, um, some of the attitudes and the, um, you know, the, the unconscious bias that are, that, that both you're getting from the bench and from attorneys. Yeah. You know, uh, as well. I mean, so my wife actually was part of a custody case when she was little mm. as a kid, and she went with her dad. But that was almost unheard of mm. back then. So, yeah. um, you know, is it is it set up against dads? I, I don't I don't know. Right. Um, and I wouldn't expect the judge to say that. By the way, to say that the system set up against dad. I just I just wanted to hear like if you've heard that opinion. Yeah. I, I also think that you know and. and I don't. I don't want to wade too far into sort of just opining about you know society at large because, right. you know, I, I think that sometimes, um, I, you know, that the expectations of fathers are the the, the bar is somewhat low sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and and you know, so I think sometimes people sort of just, um, you know, they they they, they you you. 
you want 50 50 but you got to be a 50 50 parent you know facts okay yeah i get that um last question and you know we start this program with just talking about um how judicial races don't get the same type of look and you know um just understanding from the people and it's kind of like underground and how people just don't you know it's it's hard to really get people interested do you find that like when you're campaigning or talking to people like it's and do you believe because i believe judicial races are actually more important than they're probably more important than the other races on the ballot because they impact the community directly um so that's kind of like a two-parter a little bit but do you find that as well yeah i mean look i i think I think it's important, certainly, who your state rep is, yeah, who yeah. your congressional, you know, uh, representative is. But you know, in in the actual course of life, life yeah, <laughs> your your state rep is probably never going to make a decision that will directly affect you, or at least directly change the course of your life. Whereas a judge very well may, whether right. it's a custody case, it's a civil case, it's a criminal case. Right. So I think in that sense. I always say nobody cares who the judge is until they have to go in front of them. until that day. They really care who the judge yeah, is. Yeah. 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 Um, so I think it's hard and it is hard to get people to, to care because it doesn't fit in the box of how they view politics usually. Yeah. You know, I think we, people view politics as like, are you this team or that team? Yeah. And judicial races don't fall into that. Right. And I think it just, it makes it hard for people to wrap their mind around. I mean, this is a, this is basically a job application that is that 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 the public has to decide on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and, and in some ways, it requires more work from people. Yeah. To make a good decision, and you know, the fear is always that people just pick a box. Yeah. You know, um, because one name comes first, or because you know, uh, uh, one name sounds you know different or whatever. Yeah. You know. Um, so that's, I think people, that's always the people fear. choose candidates for all sorts of reasons and not necessarily because of merits. Mm-hmm. We've seen that in, in politics, right? Um, so this is your pitch. Now I'll give you like women to pitch or whatever to sure. tell people like why they should keep you on the bench, you know? Sure. Well, like I said, I've, I've been on the bench for three years. I'm a known quantity. Um, I think if you, if you ask any of the lawyers in town, I've, I enjoy sort of the overwhelming support yeah. of the legal community. I've, been trying cases both as an attorney and as, as a judge for like, you know, over 18 years. But I think most importantly is that I'm doing this because I want to serve yeah, and because I think it matters. And I think it matters that you have people who both have a heart and a desire for justice, mm-hmm. but also um, a love of mercy and of, and a understanding of the human condition. Yeah. Um, and I think those things are, I think the word, a word you like to use, I think is it, it's a duality. Yeah. Uh, but that I think it takes someone who cares enough mm-hmm. to give the mental and emotional time to both of those things, both to justice and to humanity. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I think, uh, you know, I, I think I, I bring those things to the table. I don't know that I do them perfectly, but um, you know, those are the those are the things that motivate me every day when I walk in the courtroom. So, right, uh, and um, you know, I'd, I'd ask for everybody's vote in August. 
All right. August 23rd, right? August 23rd or before. There's early voting. Yeah, for, early voting. For yeah. Two weeks. Facts. Right. So. All right. Thank you, Judge Chu. Thank you so much for I hope you enjoyed me. it. I did. It was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. And vibe check, he actually listened to the podcast because, you know, he caught, he <laughs> mentions a couple words that I use. So he gets my vote just on that. <laughs> All right, man. All right, Judge, we're out, right? Thanks. Cool. All right, so we're here with part two of this podcast, and we're here with Judge Bain. What's up, man? What's going on, man? Andrew Bain. How are you? Yeah, how you doing, man? The bane of his existence is that she actually has to campaign. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he is not a fan of campaigning. I, well, I the, the idea of the campaign is a little interesting topic when it comes to judges because you know we're non-political yeah partisan yeah um but the campaigning itself actually has been kind of fun i mean i get to hang out we get to hang out more yeah um where like sometimes i'm not i schedule be more busy with family things so mm-hmm. um i get to see people and kind of greet the public so it's actually been really fun that yeah. part's been fun you know it's, it's fascinating because you um I talked about this with judge chu is how like often judges have to be like set apart from society and now in campaigning, they had to be a part of society. And it's like, and then people are like, where have you been? I'm like, well, I really couldn't really interact with you because the nature of my position, right. I'm not allowed to really be like involved with a lot of things. But now because I have to be, I'm on the ballot, I have to be involved with a lot of things. And so how has that been like reconciling that a little bit? I really, it's kind of, we just blew up what we were already doing. Um, that's kind of what really happened. So uh, when it came to um, bar uh, things with the, like the attorneys, um, mm-hmm. things in the community, um, just kind of really just ramped up what we already were doing um, on the side. So like I already do a bunch of mentoring mm-hmm. on the side. So I just kind of ramped that up into a, a bigger type of mentoring and platform. Yeah. Um, already I teach on the side. So mm-hmm. I teach at FAMU um, at, at the college. Okay. Um, so kind of, you know, kind of all that, it's kind of everything is kind of everything kind of gets ramped up about your life. Yeah, that's really what goes on. So you know, me as a father, um, me as a husband, mm-hmm. me as a church leader, all those kind of things just get kind of, and the campaign gets all get all ramped up and exposed. Where you kind of try to not be so much in the public about it. It's not so much on the social media. It's not so much on the internet about those kind of things. But yeah. now, um, when you're campaigning, all about your life gets kind of yeah blown up. Yeah. Um, a little we jumped a little bit into it. But like, let's give people a little bit of background of who you are, and you know, what is it that you do, or what what bench are you on, and like, why are you so big? (laughs) 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 And that's that's really a funny thing because because you know we live in we like when I took the bench in twenty twenty, I got appointed in twenty twenty. Okay, I immediately became a TV judge. So for people that didn't have a personal interaction with me before I became a judge, yeah, had no clue like how big I was because everybody looks the same on on Zoom or Teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, when, like now, like we're out of we're kind of you know COVID's numbers are going back up, but we're kind of on a we say on the tailor end of COVID. Yeah, depending on who you talk, depending to. on who you talk to, right, 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 yeah, right, right, there, right. It's a it's still there, it's still a yeah, thing that yeah. we have to be concerned about. We still do a lot of virtual in the court space for that reason. Yeah, um, but now they they see me in public, especially when I'm on the campaign, it's like. Jesus. Wow, I didn't know you're like nine feet tall. Yeah, like <laughs> like 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 Judge Shrek. Yeah, yeah, huge, like this huge guy. Yeah. Um, but before, because uh, before that, 
before I became a judge, uh, I played in the NFL for a little bit in New York Giants, and then I played football as well with the Miami Hurricanes where I went to undergrad. Wow. So that's um, – God bless me with size, speed, and strength. Yeah. Uh, so that was my first set of talents. Wow. Um, I transitioned those into law, um, mm. like after football, and went to FAMU downtown here. And yeah. Um, after my wife said we're, we were living in Orlando – she made the decision about where we're gonna live. She made the decision that yeah, you live. She made the decision about where we're gonna live because she went to UCF and her parents followed her down from Minnesota. Oh, so you like as she went to UCF and then she was like, "Well, we're going back to Orlando. That's where we're gonna live." So, my yeah. parents followed me from California, yeah. and they actually lived seven minutes from me, door to door. Yeah, well, you know, the Caribbeans. Yeah, right? yeah, it's, okay. yeah. So it's like you know, and, and listen, it's great though, right? It, it is wonderful because like babysitters in. Literally, it's kind of like in-house babysitters. It is. It's wonderful. Uh, it's, yeah. Um, my because my wife is Guyanese. Yeah, yeah. And then so her parents followed her down. Yeah. Uh, when she went to school, so then like you know now we have two daughters. Mm-hmm. So they spent a lot of time there. Yeah. And then my parents moved up last November. Oh wow. So now yeah. they now, like so when summer went to let out this year. Yeah. I had they're like one went to one grandparents' house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I want to go to the other grandparents' house. That's great. I, they were like. I, they were like on straight summer vacation. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, I, I didn't see one of my daughters for like a week. Oh, like she, she didn't even call. She yeah, was just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. She's like I'm okay, I'm yeah. good, and I'm like okay. Yeah, All right, I'd like to see you at some point. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But she was she was doing her thing, so that's great. You know, they get to enjoy that because that's a that's a special time. Um, like you know, I remember all the times I spent with my grandparents in Columbus, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents dropped me off for the summer, mm-hmm. so like some of the days were not as fun. Yeah, right, right, right. Because it is Columbus, Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of days were really fun. Like when my yeah. granddad had time, and we went fishing, and mm-hmm. uh, we're out, you know, out and about with him, just running around, mm-hmm. uh, watching him uh, meet up with his uh, army buddies uh, at McDonald's every morning. Yeah, so they go walk the mall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they'll meet up at McDonald's and talk trash mm-hmm. for like three hours. It's like lunchtime. <laughs> yeah. So it was always a good time to hang out with him doing that. Yeah. So, you know, um, actually, it's interesting because I feel like I'm going to do the same thing with my kids. I think I'm going to follow my kids. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's in nature. Because like, my wife keeps saying that. She's like, I want to let them go. Yeah. They're going to go do, yeah, they're going to move wherever. I was like, we're going to have a house or an apartment where they're at. Wherever they are. I, I like, actually am good. I've told my wife that. Like, I'm. Like, I'm totally, and here's the point. Here's, it, 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 to, I'm going to get even better with this, you know, because you have two daughters. I have two daughters. Yeah. So I'm probably going to be owning property. Wherever city they end up settling in, I'll end up pro- owning a property, you know, in there, in like a little condo or something. And then condo, if they're operating in different cities. So I can spend three or four months. I told my wife this, three or four months in one city, mm-hmm. you know, when they have kids, and then three or four months in the other city. And so... I could be around them. So pretty much I'm going to be gone, you know, probably six to eight months out of the year in a different city. And then I'm going to be traveling the rest of the time, like traveling, you know, that's my retirement. Yeah. In fact, like I, I just want to travel. So it. for, you know, eight months, I'm going to be with my kids and the other, I'm going to be doing my own thing as far as traveling, you know, whatnot. So I think it's the, that's a Caribbean thing in me. Yes. I mean, it's, I mean, it's just part of the culture. You know? Yeah. It's one of those things where, you see it all the time. It's a repetitive thing. Yeah. So uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's great. I mean, like, I think I said, they get to learn. I feel like as parents, yeah. we going, we teach them like, you know, the basic things. Yeah. But I feel like the history and the culture usually always comes from the grandparents. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like that's how that, I mean, this is kind of how it happens because, you know, we're so busy like trying to work and do careers and, yeah. um, you know, be the family, get, like do like do the family thing. Yeah. But I think a lot of history and culture always comes from yeah. on the grandparents. Cause I really, I got that, a lot of that from my grandparents, like, you know, about our history as a family and, you know, where we came from, you know, like my granddad's from the Bahamas and mm. like talking about that part of his history, like yeah. my, my grandmother on that same side. My great grandmother, you know, they were from Tallahassee in South Georgia. You know, talk about how they transitioned from there, going down US twenty seven, yeah, uh, migrant working, and you know, all the way down to all we got, all we got down to Key West. So, mm-hmm. you know, and then same thing. My grand, my grandfather is from Arkansas, yeah, you know, and then going and moving many my grandmother in Fort Benny, like uh, as he was serving in the army, mm-hmm. and then so. All those things are just, you know, all things about our culture. You know, my grandmother growing on a farm, sharecropping, and mm-hmm. all those kind of things that you just learn about, and they get to share that kind of culture with them. So mm-hmm. it's like really, it's been, I think that's like a really cool thing about it. Yeah, it's like they, they you know, it's the benefit of having grandparents um, because they're able to tie in, like, their history in their child rearing, you know? So I agree. Your, you, you play for Giants. My father... Um, is a big Giants fan. I grew up a Giants fan. Um, how was that experience? I, it was different playing it, in the pros compared yeah, to like yeah. college to pros. Like, what was that transition? College to pros uh, was different and kind of, kind of really interesting because it really wasn't. Is the talent level was always high because I played right. at a, a really you know talented school, right? And then, but the business side of it was something that. You know, you kind of hear about, yeah. but kind of seeing it in action mm-hmm. uh, was a different, kind of a really different thing. So mm-hmm. seeing the business side of the NFL. Like walk uh, me through that, what you mean? So it's like, for instance, so I, like, the reason, I mean, I thought I was going to live, like, play a 10, 12-year career. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But that kind of ended, like, when um, I was, we beat Florida State my senior year. Mm-hmm. And then the next week I tore both of my quads, Ooh. like, wide open. So I went from a... Pretty really fast, three hundred thirty pound guy. Yeah, a averagely fast three hundred thirty pound guy. Okay, so you know that dropped my yeah my talent level and you know my stock and you know kind of things like that when it came to the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, when you get to when you sit there, you know you can still play. I can still play. I can, yeah. like, the way I got there, I still could play. Right. Uh, but how they factor in, you know, what's your value? Mm. Because they they're putting a number number dollar value. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like, yeah. what's the value? What's the, about to for, towards this person? How much money we already have invested in this next person? Yeah, yeah. The other person may be more talented, but they're not exceedingly more talented. Yeah. Then I'm already got all this other money invested in this other person. Yeah, it's a dollars and cents dollars and cents thing. So yeah. at one point I was there, I got cut. Ah. Uh, like yeah. this is like like and then like three days later I got they brought me back. Yeah, uh, for less money. I mean, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. So I, got, so I got cut. And they, they, yeah. they, they brought me back for less money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like like three days later, and then I found out when I after I got back that like they cut me because they wanted to bring in a veteran. They wanted to take a look at, it, but they needed mm-hmm. roster space mm-hmm. to do it. Right. And then I was looking at this guy. This guy's could barely stand. Right. Like could barely walk. Right. Like, like there's no way he could pass the physical. Like this, mm-hmm. you know. But that's how it is. Like you know, right. they're just moving you around and. Kind of those kind of things. So that was a that was eye opening um, when I got there. That was like it was something that I thought about. But then, you know, you come from college, it's all about the game and all about the passion, you know, the, passion the love and, of the game, and yeah. all those kind of things like that. I mean, you got to really 
learn and hone in on the business aspect of it. So it's interesting because like it's, and yeah, and it's an interesting way, you know, the vibe check podcast, we're just kind of taking a different direction here. And we're, we're going to talk about Jesus race in a moment, yeah. but, um, I hear that it's almost like black commodity, black body commodity. You know what I mean? And it's like how you see the NFL and it's like, it's, it takes the humanization out of the player and it's like, you're just an asset and we evaluate, you know, how we can generate our outcome based on this particular asset. Is that accurate there? Yeah, it's pretty accurate. I mean, there's, you know, there are relationships that go along with that. Yeah. So I, I can't just you know, put in a void that kind of idea. Right. So there are also relationships that are built and, you know, um, people that have become part of franchises because they've become, they've been there so long. That, yeah. You know, they're part of the, like the, the owners and the, like, yeah. the GM and all GM that. Yeah, and all yeah, those yeah. kind of people. They're all like, the family's all connected. They've been, they've been doing business. They're like, in a, they're like, they're in a real business relationship at that point. You know, yeah, like there's an investment within the character correct. of that person. Exactly. So yeah. I can't put it in a complete void of like, that's what the bottom line is. Right. But there is, you know, a, you know, values what you're saying is that they because the the game is based on that. The game yeah. is a physical sport. Yeah, you know, so it's not it's not a academic exercise or yeah. those kind of things like that. It's about how can you physically perform on a football field, mm-hmm. and you know, if they, you can perform well on a football field physically, yeah, and we can generate good coaching and strategies mm-hmm. to put us in winning positions, then we generate more revenue. Yeah, because you know. People, you got to, they, they're not, they're, I mean, owners are in there because they like the game. But, right, right. But we're, this is a business. Right, you know, right, that's right, my right, point. Right. I'm saying, yeah, like, yeah, a yeah. part of learning, like, this, like, college is a business because they, they, it's a business now more than it was when I played. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, there was not the same kind of thing. So now it's a true business and they have bottom lines. Some of these people have, you know, private shareholders and, mm. you know, investors and bills they need to pay. Yeah. And, Stadiums they need to upkeep. Everybody, and, everybody got bills. Yeah, and those, so so they yeah, have yeah. to generate yeah revenue to make that happen. So they had to put a product on the field yeah. that's going to do that. Yeah. So to do that, you're going there's going to be a look at you know right. Can you can you physically perform to a level that's going to be able to do that? Right. Um. I kind of I haven't follow up question on that. Not a follow up statement. But I do I do want to put this caveat. I actually ran track in college. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But also in high school. Not at the same level, obviously, but I I played football, and um, you know I was okay. I was okay. You know, uh, at the time I said I was I did defensive back, a um, little bit of kickoff return, punt return. You know, I was one of those guys, like you know, running back, receiver, like athlete, athlete, right? Um, and but I was primarily a defensive back. Didn't really get didn't do college, obviously, because I'm short as fuck. Right, really short, short as fuck, right? And so, and so, so like, but I was skilled. And one of the things, because you played offensive tackle, um, I would cheat a lot. Here's how I cheat. I don't think I think you kind of know where I'm going to go with this. As a defensive back, I would know how to read a play based off of like if it's a pass or a run, based off of I'd watch the tackle, and the tackle took a step back. I'd be like, all right, it's a pass. So I'm already – I then I'd get into my phase of, you know, backpedaling. But if it's a run, my first step – and I could tell if the tackle takes a step forward. I always look at your left foot, you know, and see, you know, or if the and if it was a screen, I see if your foot slides 
to the little bit to the left to see if, you know, so I would be reading the tackle based off of what the play was going to be. So if it was a run, I'd know to take it. My first step would be go forward. Yeah. If it was a pass, you know, but anyway, um, that's how I would. Did you, I mean, you probably knew that like defensive backs did that stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. game gets, you know. Yeah. A lot more complicated as you know you advance in the level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I mean, I I did all kinds of. I mean, there are also also games inside the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, for me, why when I watch great, especially inside office alignment, yeah, everything they do looks the same. Yeah, at first glance. Mm-hmm. So every run step, every even sometimes pass protecting looks almost the exact same. Mm-hmm. So if you can make that happen, mm-hmm. you can confuse the crap out of a defensive, defensive back. Yeah, defensive back or, or, or linebacker. Right. Or defensive, <laughs> yeah. or defensive tackle. Yeah, they yeah. don't know what's going on. They right. don't know, like, they, like, you know, my, my outside zone footwork like, yeah. feels to them the same as my inside zone footwork. Yeah, yeah. Like, you think I'm trying to, like, get you, like, get, don't get outside you, and I'm yeah. not. I'm just, like, trying to get you to run. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. So... Um, it gets you know you play those games inside the game to you know give yourself an advantage when you're you know because you know you're competing with people that are very physically talented too yeah yeah um, you know the, your mental is gonna you know give you the advantage over a lot of that space. So basically, what he's saying is that the tricks I was using in high school definitely would have got my ass blown up in college because <laughs> because while people in high school are not thinking that level in college, they're like way past that. Yeah, that will definitely keep up on you. <laughs> keep up on like yeah. oh, every time he's he's taking a step back, you know, because he's reading a tackle. I would always read a tackle. That's I mean, play action run right at you. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Somebody throwing a touchdown right over your head, and then a de- defensive back coach would be getting on my ass like yeah. you stop cheating and start playing. Yeah. yeah, but that's also why I set some records. I had interception records because I would. I'll be able to jump the plays a lot, you know, and fumbles and all that. Anyway, enough, enough about that. But to t- keep the football theme here, because um, this is, you know, we, we're here to talk about your election. What are some of the things that you learned from, like, off the field, you know, on the field that you could apply on the field, like when you're talking about, um, you know, just your experiences and even being on the bench? Everything. Yeah? I mean, because – Football is a great football is a great sport in that. Football is a place. Um, I was actually having a conversation with Ike Taylor about this like, okay. like a couple weeks ago. I said playing ball is like a perfect universe. Yeah. Because it takes people from every walk of life, mm-hmm. puts them on a team mm-hmm. for and sets them to complete a goal. Right. You know, they they can be from all over the place. Religion, age, race. Um, you know, social economic puts them in one place mm-hmm. and gives them a goal and sets them, and they, and they have to work together to like to you know, reach that goal, reach that goal. Mm-hmm. So um, when like when it comes to the law and things like that, so the same disciplines that you learn in doing that, so you learn to be committed, right? You learn to be diligent. Mm-hmm. Uh, you learn to be extremely hardworking, mm-hmm. and you learn to, you learn a lot about community at that point, right? You know, because it's you're really doing life with a bunch of guys from, or you know, sometimes now girls mm-hmm. from, or ladies from, all over and wherever. Mm-hmm. So you, it puts you in a space where you have to make that work. You know, it's fascinating to that because what I'm hearing is that, especially more so because you know, track and field is a lot individualized. You know, but in football, um, team sports, you have to take on the personalities of a lot of different people. And different walks of life, 
right? And you have to learn to listen to people and not make assessments just based off of like the physical, like, or their background, right? And I mean, that's what I interpret. I mean, yeah. is that something same way with you? Yeah, I mean, is this, you know, Matthew 6 33? You know, he's dropping, he's dropping Bible bars. Well, it's okay. Sunday. It's Sunday. Okay. You know? Yeah. You got to okay. seek ye first. You know? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you seek, I mean, that's what I'm saying. You got to seek first. You got to seek yeah. understanding. Yeah. You know, righteousness is all about understanding understanding grace mm-hmm. so if you have to understand what's going on you have to understand the people you're dealing with yeah you have to understand the circumstances from people of all types of backgrounds because mm-hmm. it allows you to then have you know greater discernment about what's going on mm. you know because sometimes you know some people may like see this as a this is an issue yeah so it might be an issue it's just this person's person like you're talking about like, like caribbean people like, yeah like so you know, if you're in a house with your mom, mm. and she's speaking her normal, yeah, her normal voice, especially like, like especially like my mother-in-law, right? They might think that's threatening, right? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that, that, that kind of, you know, that, like that, like the tone, the, oh, absolutely, the, the, like the volume level. My wife's not West Indian, so like in the beginning, she'd be like, "Y'all are always yelling at each other." I'm like, "We're not yelling. We're just talking." Like, yeah. and she's like, "Are you guys mad at each other?" No, we're not mad. We're just yeah, we're talking very loudly and very passionately to each, towards each other. And it took her a while to understand that what may seem like yelling and screaming at one another and very, like, we're very passionate, we're talking, we're not really, we're not mad at each other. We're just talking to each other. Yeah. And and that's, I mean, it's the same kind of thing. So it's more of about how do you make that, you know, because now you understand that. So when somebody's talking to you and somebody's telling you the story and, Mm -hmm. or, you know, people are explaining themselves to you, like, you can, you know, discern that this is not, you know, you can like you can measure the credibility better. You right. Can measure um, how the story is going along and how they you know tr- how they are really they really are trying to say. Right. Because some things like they're not you know they can't really communicate because a lot of things aren't are nonverbal. Right. You know a lot of things are nonverbal about how how we communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. So just understanding about all those kind of different people all the time different walks of life, mm-hmm. um, doing life with those kind of people gives yeah. you a greater understanding. About you know how you I mean and, and it's an advantage to me an advantage on the bench yeah it's an advantage when I'm up there like and people are talking to me cause I do a lot of I'm a county court judge so half my docket are people that are representing themselves mm. so they're not trained to lawyers they're not mm-hmm. you know and you're trying to get them to under like to explain to you what's happening but you have to make sure they're explaining in a way that you then you can now take that and then rule on what the wider here mm. so that's a, you know what that's what we practice. As lawyers, we yeah. we work a long time to master that skill. Yeah, you know, people that come into our system, uh, especially to represent themselves, that they don't they don't have that skill. So we're trying to get them to, you know, understand, master it, and get it not master it, but at least at least we get you to a point where you can make a, a ruling about what you're trying to put it while they're here. Yeah, show me a good lawyer, and I'll show you someone who's a good listener. Yeah, you know, because honestly, a lot of times with my practice, I'm sure it's even more tenfold being on the bench i don't know what's getting ready to come out of somebody's mouth and i have to be really intentional in focusing on what their words are and what are they saying and then not only what they're saying but the nonverbal cues too and so you have to listen to it and be like mm, i hear this but like this doesn't add up so what tell me what, what are you not saying because i what i'm thinking you're not saying is this and tell me if i'm right or wrong do you you know am, you know do you feel that way as well it does happen uh, yeah I mean, it you know and where people like you know what like on the, like when I switch when you switch from being an advocate to being a judge, right? Uh, one of the things that happens is that one you realize that 
there's no other job that prepared you for doing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like no whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So like, there's some judges that like some of the recent recent judges that have law had long careers. Yeah, they're now on the bench. They're like, this is foreign. Yeah, this is a foreign kind of situation yeah. because you're not you're no longer in an advocate's role. Mm-hmm. So you're more like an eagle sitting on a perch, mm-hmm. watching what's going on, and you see everything from up there. Yeah, like, I thought judges used to say that, but yeah. like. When you're sitting on, when you're sitting on, especially when you're in a courtroom, not just on like in a virtual platform, yeah, 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 but yeah. you're in an actual courtroom, you see Give me some everything fun. that's happening. Vibe check. Yo, what are some of the things like you'd be like, I did not notice this. Now I'm on the bench. I noticed this stuff. Like whether it's like, you know, a, uh, attorneys or people in your courtroom, like what is something like, ah, uh, now I see, I've never noticed this thing. Like, Well, there's a lot of things going on. I mean, I, it, it becomes quickly apparent to me, like how ready you were to like for court today. <laughs> that's that's the number one thing that happens because yeah. like I can see I can see how you came in, yeah, how you set up, like you're ready to go, yeah, or like you're just kind of like scrambling, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You, like you like you may look like you think you got it together, but I'm looking and I see that you really don't have it together, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah so yeah. it's you know it's one of those kind of things that that does that's one of, that's one of the first things I realized when I, we got back in person versus being. Yeah. Um, on like doing virtual, right? So, like I can really tell at that point, like how much, how much time you put in, in being prepared, which is the number number one. You're talking about attorneys, attorneys. This is attorneys, yeah, yeah. 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 Like cause the, the greatest thing you, know, you should have learned, you should learn as a young attorney is your preparation is going to be the key to you being successful in this career and being successful as an advocate, because if you're not prepared, yeah, you know. 90% chance that, you know, that other person's prepared is going to sweep the floor with you unless the judge saves you somehow. Yes. <laughs> unless the judge throws a white flag, throws you a bone. Yeah. And kind of gives you a little something. Yeah. You're just going to probably expect that you're going to get wiped up. And that, I mean, that, that happens to everybody when they, especially in court, when they first, mm-hmm. you know, take the, you know, get out there and start trying to try a case and yeah. have a hearing and do a motion and do all the kind of lawyer things that happens. Yeah. Um, you, Quickly learned that your preparation is going to you to up your your level of preparation and then continue to up it. Yeah, um, to continue your level of being prepared. So I the only pushback that happened on that. Yes, I agree. I agree with preparation, but my thing is, and this is my, I mean it's my practicing style. Mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes you can over. I've learned you can be over prepared. This is true, and you don't start thinking because you're st- you're thinking about your the things you prepared for, and you're not thinking you're not. In the moment, like in the game, like right. we're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, like, okay, sports, right? Like you've watched film, you've done all these things, and now you're just operating based on what you've seen on film or preparing in the brief, mm-hmm. and you're not really in the moment. And yeah. you're like, you got to you got to anticipate as well, because the shit you might have prepared for is like, it's not even applicable. I've had that happen. Mm-hmm. Like you've prepared and it's like all the shit you've done and it's like, oh shit, none of this that I prepared for is working. And now I have to like operate off of instinct and yeah. understanding of the situation, situational yeah. understanding. Yeah, I mean the the, the second thing is that ad- adaptivity. Uh, the next, yeah. your next skills you're going to learn. Yeah, you're going to learn to be adaptive. Yeah, like, and quickly adaptive. Yeah. So, but that also comes. But your preparedness not just prepared for the hearing, but preparedness overall. So, how much yeah. time do you spend in mastering your skill? Right. You know, say so how much time do you spend reading cases? How much time do you actually spend? Opening your statute book and your real your rule book, yeah, and read what it says, right? Because sometimes you know the answer is right there, and then you know, I get 
Like it happens to me in court regularly. They come in, they got this great, mm. you know, argument and this motion, and I'm, uh, it's like, like do we, if we took a look at the statue yeah. while we're here, yeah, and we'll answer the question, the, re- the reason why, <laughs> what we're trying to do, mm-hmm. and, and then so it gets a. Uh, I think people, as I said, the overthinking, the overpreparedness, yeah, sometimes does bite you. So, um, you know, start always, as I said, fundamentals, yeah, uh, just like sports, yeah. You know, so you're your long jump, triple jump, yeah. You know, so the fundamentals, you gotta, you gotta, yeah. you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta hit your, you gotta hit your marks, you gotta hit your yeah. mark every time, yeah, yeah. Every the time, more yeah. times you hit your mark, yeah, the more the, natural it becomes. More natural it becomes, yeah. and the more fundamentals you keep, keep hitting those fundamentals, right? And then you. Now you don't you don't you don't overthink a lot of things because if I can most things are one on fundamentals right most arguments are one fundamental fundamentally mm. I mean there's very few change like yo if you're overthinking it a lot of times the, the your the rulings going to get a little strange the you know things are going to get out of out of bounds really quick I actually have a case that I I kind of I'm not I can say this now years yeah. later. Yeah. We were successful, by the way. I bullshitted my way through this case because I realized, like, again, I was not, like, I was prepared, but I was not prepared to do the argument that came at me, right? And I had to, like, and I had to, like, react and think on my feet. And, um, you know, it was weird because, like, I literally just came up with an entire argument and closing Based off of like it was a one day trial, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a one day trial. You don't have a lot of time to like no. to to like if it's a two day trial, you can like go home reassess. It was a one day trial, and I had like I had to like kind of rip up the shit that I was doing and and just go off of like vibes, yeah. really, you know. Um, and but one of the things that it taught me was the best thing I did was I I was listening to. The opposing counsel and I was kind of like in the the weeds. I didn't really know if this is the law, but I felt like this should be the law. <laughs> and so I was like talking and arguing as if this should be the you know this should be the interpretation of the law. I didn't have a statute ready. I didn't have a case law ready because we're in the middle of a trial. And you know the judge, you know the she, she you know she bought it and in a good way, not in a bought it like in like I manipulated, <laughs> but. Um, have you, you know, you've been in the cases where you're like, you know what, it's not really, I'm, I'm assuming like you kind of see like, that's not really the law, but I know where he's going with it or she's going with it. Yeah. Have, yeah. 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 I understand. I mean, like, you know, like, I said, like if your judge is doing their job, they're prepared, they, yeah. they are, mm-hmm. they're, they're listening. Like I said, they're listening to all the arguments, yeah. listening to all what's going on. Right. Um, and the biggest skill, like I said, and again, for an advocate is listening. So right. when I talk to my students um, about you know, trials and trial practice and those kind of things like that, when I'm when we're talking about those kind of things at mock trials, I say, listen to what the witness is telling you. Right. You know, that a lot of, like, a lot of seasoned attorneys, he, people have been attorneys for a long time, don't yeah. listen to their witnesses. They don't. They don't listen to anything. They don't, they don't listen. listen to anything. They, just, like, they hear, they, they focus on what's on the paper. Yeah. And that's it. I'm like, yeah. focus on like, Talk, have a conversation with, your, with the, the witness. Yeah, you know the, the witness. This is a conversation. Yeah, have a conversation with the witness. Then you know, I mean, you can listen to what they're saying, and then you can hear, you know, you can hear those things. And sometimes it makes your arguments easier at that point. Yeah, because then you're not like, like you don't have this plan that's so rigid and like, 
You know, and then one thing throws goes off the plan, and then you yeah, you kind of yeah. like fall yeah. apart, you fall apart. Yeah. Kids are going, going, yeah, kids are spiraling, you're spiraling, yeah. you spiraling, yeah. spiraling. Yeah. Hopefully, you may catch yourself if you have a two day trial. Yeah, yeah, you may yeah. Be able to catch yourself in the second day. Yeah, but sometimes yeah, if it's a one day trial and it's you and the judge <laughs> or you and just you know one jury and yeah, you know, yeah. jury, you gotta can't can't spiral. So. No, you gotta you gotta you gotta sit there like everything's yeah. shit sweet. Everything's yeah. sweet. Everything's good. Yeah. You know, and it, and I and I know the judge is looking at you because the thing is was fascinating. I don't know if you do like. I feel like when you're at the table and you're arguing and like a car crash is happening in front of you. And you gotta have like the, the dead face on your face, like it's, yeah. it's it's cool. Like you see that meme where like you're like in the middle of a fire and like everything's fine, everything's good. Like you know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. like everything is great. Like that's literally what you're doing. You're just kind of like sitting there, like yeah, everything's fine. Your client's like stressed out, and you're like, no, that's no, cool. Could you, could you now? It's the game. It's the yeah. game within the game, right? Because you don't want the jury to see that you're tripping. You know what I mean? And you don't want the judge to see that you're like the judge be like, oh, he don't know what he's doing. You know, and then you don't want opposing counsel. See, like, I got him. Like, you know what I mean? Can't, can't let him see you sweat. Can't let him see you sweat, right? And then you can't let their, like, their clients. And so, like, you got to sit there like, shit is sweet. Like, uh, this, this, this is cool. I anticipated this. No, this is great. This is this is exactly what I, what I, <laughs> what I anticipated. I knew they were going to do that. So, like, <clears throat> you know, then you have to, like, you know, you know adapt and whatnot. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you is... You've been on bench 2020. Yes. Going on from, you know, being, you know, just an advocate to being a judge. What were some of the growing pains you had? I didn't get to ask Judge Chu this, but I'm I'm, I'm fascinated to see how like because it's a transition. Yeah, it is a, it is a huge transition. And like, so, like, yeah, talk about that. It's an underestimated transition because, mm-hmm. and then COVID made it. Yo, exacerbation. It was an yeah. exacerbation at that point because I went from we were home yeah. since March. Yeah, I come in the summer. Like we thought we had a little small dip, like you know, right before spring break, right, 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 right around spring break, mm-hmm. and then it was like rocket shipped. Mm-hmm. You know, the numbers like this hit all time highs like in the sun in the summer. So I came in right in the middle of all of that, right, and basically went from knowing a judge as. I, we all we all went like you were at public defender's office. I was at yeah. the state. Like knowing judges that we've seen them. Yeah. To now being a virtual judge. Yeah, yeah. TV yeah. judge. I mean, yeah, the, yeah, to, yeah. the intensive purposes. Like yeah. it's a and it's a um and learning how to navigate that was like I think was one of the really difficult things. Um, then when I got on the bench, right? Um, just because you don't you're not controlling a courtroom. You're trying to control a. You know, a room full of attorneys on these little tiles. Yeah. Um, trying to get your cases moving um, when we don't have any uh, mechanisms to get cases to move. Right. Um, all those kind of things that became, you know, hard at that point. It right. Became hard for and and it was the truth. Is just because there's no manual. Right. There's no there's no training. There's no there was no like senior judge to go talk to about. Right. Well. And when back in the day, right, right, we had right. virtual court. Right, 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 right. You know, there, there was none of that. So yeah. we were, you know, we were all learning on the fly. Right. You know, we were all learning what systems work better, what what best practices were better. Yeah. Um, now there's a whole bunch of science on it now. You know, yeah. they, they teach and those kinds of things like that about. But there's a whole discipline in how to yeah. do what you're, yeah. yeah. It's a whole, like, new thing now. Like, this is, like, obviously almost this two years later. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, that was one of the things that was really you know, trying to find a way to transition from, you know, being a judge as we saw a judge, you know, in the courtroom all the time to being 
the virtual judge and trying to keep everybody organized and things like that. Because now you became the manager of not only the attorneys in your courtroom, you became the manager of, um, based on the four Supreme Court's orders, the manager of all these other cases you have. So right. you went from maybe having a couple hundred case docket right. to like now you have thousands of cases that you're in charge of. You know, and now I'm in civil. You know, I have like eight thousand cases that I'm in charge of. There's like this, you know, huge you know management kind right. of skill that had to like be kicked in and learned that you don't really take on as an advocate. Right. That's you take on your case management, but they're all about your cases, like right. you know, your little your situations, your depositions, your mediations, and you know you're, you're trying to work out and get deals in your small space. But now you have a large landscape that you are now. Um, the manager of so right that was one of the things that came a part of growing through that and learning and getting better at it and you know like i said like learning best practices for you and your ja mm -hmm. um because really it's just you have one employee yeah. <laughs> so yeah, i have one employee my ja yeah, so she's the only real help i have in doing yeah. anything and she's only she only can do really more so much yeah yeah administrative things yeah. so like all the law stuff and legal things and um things that legally have to be done all fall on the judge so um, that's a what's some clerks? I can, I can find some clerks. Yeah, it was fine. I mean, you, I'm, the clerks would help. Yes, I'm, oh, I'm I mean, sorry, intern, I mean, interns. Yeah, yes. interns, things like that. Um, and I had planned to do that this summer, but yeah. now I'm, um, I don't want to give somebody saying I want to teach them and give them time. When yeah, I'm you know just trying to run my docket and run a campaign. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a little hard yeah, to like harder. teach, run a docket, and then now you know, and then yeah. also you know, campaign. So I get that. Um, one of the things that I, I you know, I, I'm interested in your race is because, you know, you've actually had to, I guess you came under some like in early on people like the defense bar. Yeah. yeah. And how did you actually feel? I was, let me just put this out there. You, how many black, judge, how many black judges are on the bench? Let's put it there. Now I think um, Reggie Whitehead, Alicia Lattimore, Faye Allen. Um, it's like five, right? Tanya Wilson, myself, Michaela Nix, and Chrissy Collins. So oh, seven. 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 seven um, two African-American males and then five African-American females. So there's only two black male judges, right? And so I found your race fascinating because – you know, they targeted your bench a little bit, right? And I'm always, like, a little inter interested in how, like, they decide, like, we don't have a lot of black male representation on this bench. I've talked to Judge Whitehead about this. It's very, and so, like, the fact they targeted you was really, really interesting to me. And I'm very, very much interested, like, how was that mindset, like, when you saw, like, man, like, you know, you're a black man, you're sitting on the bench, and they're, you know, and they're running a campaign against you. There's not a lot, we don't have a lot of representation. Did that ever ever come in your mind a little bit? You know, it's it's a, it's a fact. Yeah. So, I mean, is there something, I mean, it's just what it is. So, um, I can't control Yeah. how, you know, did they decide to target me? Yeah. Um, yeah. I've been targeted my whole life. So it's not a you know yeah. it's not, not a new thing. Yeah. Um, you know, been underestimated my whole life. Been, you know, yeah. you know, because when he's like you said, like big black man. Yeah. So big black man, like we talk monolithic views of people. So yeah, just big and black, I only could be a yeah. football player. Right. Or some kind of athlete. Right. Um, 
now that I have all these other skills, yeah. you know, I can be a culinary chef. I can be, uh, right. you know, I'm a professor of law. Right. I, are you, you know, are you saying you have fire cooking skills? I have fire cooking skills. I got some 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 ribs on the on the, in the smoker right now. Okay. So, you know, so I, get I, don't I don't eat pork. I don't eat pork. No, no, this beef. I don't eat beef either. Uh, well, we get some chicken too. Okay, okay, yeah, chicken. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I yeah. Like, we get you over. We get you over to the house. You know what I, I mean? I mean, like you know, I, I teach. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, I'm uh, I'm a mentor. I'm, you know, I in church leadership. I do all kind of things. I do other things outside of the monolithic view of just, mm-hmm. you know, big black man must be an athlete, right? You know, so and, and then the appointment process itself is like a yeah, is a is a, is a monstrous. You know, behemoth yeah. of a task. Yeah, you know, because it's, you know, you're it's a mini campaign in a sense yeah. because you are, um, you have to be vetted. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to fill out this forty page application. Yeah, you have to add, you know, writing samples and all those kind of things like that. You have to get people to like you know put their name on the line for you. Yeah, in a big way, not just yeah. like in a you know campaign in the county, like like with the governor yeah. put their put their name on the line for you. Yeah. In large political um, fields, yeah, and then you have to prove, show yourself approved, yeah, to you know get a shot, yeah, and then so the last time mm-hmm. African American male got a shot at the time I got appointed was almost twenty six years. Mm. So Reggie got appointed. Reggie yeah. Whitehead got appointed yeah. in nineteen ninety four. Yeah, Rio got appointed again in ninety six to the circuit bench. Yeah, but the last African American male to take the bench between then and theirs was me in twenty twenty. Yeah. And that was a big reason, like, why, when I got approached by the ju- some judges to apply at the beginning, when I first started applying in 2019, yeah, um, was I, I went home, I looked at went home, pulled up the Ninth Circuit website, yeah. pulled up all the judges, and, it, you know, at the time, I scrolled through, and I'm like, yeah, it was Reggie. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was you know, Reggie, and that was it. I mean, I, 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 it didn't dawn on me until the time I, yeah, I started. Yeah, no. Then, you know, then I, I put my first application in in 2019, and yeah. then there were seven applications between – you know, when I first started, to when I got appointed, so it's yeah. not a, it's not as a one time you're gonna throw your name in there. It's gonna happen. No, it's real. And I would say this. Um, I didn't expect to say this on this pod, but you know, it's a vibe check. Whatever, we don't care. I don't care. Um, the re- the fact that matters. There's not a lot of black males on this on the Orange County on the bench. We just mentioned this too. I have actually been approached a number of different judges sitting on the bench. Not going to name names and former judges. You should like run for judge, and the reason I don't run for judge because I'm gonna get kicked off the bench. <laughs> That's the reason why I get. We definitely could have this podcast. Yeah, like, <laughs> I yeah, I am okay. not the judge. Be over. I am not judge material, right? And so I know because I have I'm too opinionated, and I will literally, I will literally get kicked off the bench. I know this was to happen, but it just shows you though how like sparingly we have. Like they're like we need. Smart black male judges, like we don't have them, they're, and they're not, and then like they're like they're not running, you know, and so like, think about it. I mean, how many we're African American African Americans make up five percent yeah. of the total um, bar, like this, like nationwide. Yeah, um, I think African American women make up, like they are getting closer to half, almost like two, almost like two percent of the bar. Yeah, and just locally. Just, I mean, think about the names that, yeah. that come to mind. Yeah. And then are those people, are those people that names that come to mind are going to put aside, you know, the two, three, four, sometimes million dollars they make in a year. Yeah. 
to take a. I'm not one of those people making two or three million dollars yeah. to a year. That's to take, to well, I'm clear to take a clearer pay cut. I mean, I'm saying yeah. like think about yeah, like yeah. My upper echelon. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Um, some of the great attorneys like you know Greg Francis. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. You know, Carlos Leach and yeah, like, yeah. Some, like you know, like, you know yeah. people are doing really big things. Yeah, and to like then, yeah, take this cut, and on top of that, you know, you want to take on the. The scrutiny, new, the new scrutiny, the new yeah. political world, the new yeah. all those kinds of things. And a lot of people, a lot of guys are like, "Look, we're trying to build, you know, we're trying to build financial, for our family, yeah, financial, financial legacies. Yeah, we're trying to build legacies yeah. for like you know our families and you know for yeah. our, our communities and those kind of things like that. And so then, who leaves? Who's left to serve at that point? Yeah, yeah. You know, so there's only a, a number, so there's small, small number of us. Yeah, you know, they're left to serve. And then my thing is always like, look, I'm always, if I'm if not anything. If not anything, I want that to be a sign to some of these, especially young African American men, mm-hmm. that, hey man, like you, like don't don't fall for the trap, don't fall for the trap that you think that you are monolithic, yeah, you know that you are that you only seen as, you know, you know like you know as the media would put you, you know, don't mm-hmm. like you know. Listen, man, like you, or even or in community or your community, family, your family, friends, your family, yeah. Yeah. your friends, even how you as I said, how they yeah. see you. Yeah. You know, you are able to if you want, if mm-hmm. you really want, and like and like and if I can help you do it, yeah. Really put yourself in a situation where you can change mm-hmm. the whole dynamic of how your your the your circumstances are right now. Yeah. Have you seen it? Like, I mean, even while I was you know, I went to school in Pompano Beach. Mm-hmm. You know, very similar to Pine Hills. Yeah. Like almost identical kind of type of neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, in Pompano. Yeah. Still segregated in the, in the real sense of a real way. Yeah. Because on the west side of Dixie Highway, on the side, west side of the railroad tracks, mm-hmm. is where Blanche Ely is on 6th Ave and yeah. all the things that come along with, you know, you know, living in that type of neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And then on the east side, you got the beach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Condos. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, multi-million dollar houses. Yeah. You know, and but how is that literally in the same city? How yeah. do you how do you have totally different experiences? Totally different experiences, totally completely different experiences. Yeah. You know what I mean, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But just because you grew up here, you know where I, you know where I where we grew, where I grew up at least. You know what I mean? Doesn't that give me the? I mean, I I would I did not want to ever be, I guess, considered the. Um, you don't want to put me placed in the box. Placed in a box. I want to be yeah. the Tupac box. I don't yeah. even want to call it that. I didn't, yeah. want, I didn't want to be the Tupac box. Yeah. I just never. I never wanted to be that. I never wanted to be only that. You know. What I, mean? I, I didn't know. I didn't know what I want. I didn't know how to do it. Yeah. There was no like game plan of like. You know I mean, there's game plan for playing football, but yeah. outside of that, there was. I mean, I knew I did not want to be put into that box. Yeah. Um. So when I got to the University of Miami, um, I got to take a class, a um, business law class, because mm. you know you have academic. Yeah. Advisors, they make your schedules and all kind of stuff like that. Yeah, so they're like, take this class. So I'm like, okay, and that was the first time I talked to a lawyer. Wow, and I was like 20 years old. Mm. First time I ever like was introduced to anything about the law. Yeah, other than you know, mm. seeing somebody go to prison or right. you know those kind of things like that. You know, mm. somebody got you know they murdered somebody or something like that. But that that was it. Mm. You know, there was no other right. There's other no no one on one experience with that. Mm. And, and that's what I'm saying. I had a monolithic view of the law at that point, right, too. Right, right, well. right. Because you only saw, like, you know, in, through criminal prosecution. Yeah, criminal prosecution is that yeah. it's like, you know, this guy's going to go to prison. Like, my right. uncle my uncle was going to go to prison for life. And, right. you know, 
We buried another uncle in 2019 that died in prison. Right. So, you know, those kind of things like that. That's how, that's how to view it a lot at that, to that point. And then I got exposed to this whole other side of it right. where I was like, you know, why aren't, why aren't so many of us yeah. involved in that when we are the ones being affected by that the most? Mm-hmm. You know? Question. Two questions, you know, because um, be mindful of your time. Was there a case that you had that changed the way or maybe impacted the way you saw society or changed, like, fundamentally, whether in the prosecution or on the bench? Like, you know what? Like, this had a, you know, a, an effect on me. Like, And I say every lawyer has a case, right, mm-hmm. where they think about, like, damn, I went into it one way and then I came out another way because I saw, I saw people, humanity differently after this case i don't know i'm assuming i'm projecting on you <laughs> but i'm assuming there's always one case in your years where it just sticks to your bones you like you remember and it, like you went in one way and you came out another i think it, you don't have to get detailed you don't think it, 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 it happens it happened it happened to me more than i thought mm-hmm. and, uh, and sometimes i can't like i mean i think it happens to me most mostly impactfully more recently mm-hmm. um because i spent a year um at 33rd doing first appearances. Yeah. And I didn't realize it. 33rd for those is, is the jail, the, jail, the Orange yeah. County jail. I spent, yeah. I spent a year at the Orange County jail doing first appearances. So if you're arrested in the state of Florida, yeah. Um, you have to see a judge within 24 hours of being arrested. Right. I didn't realize how that part of my job had affected me mm. until I had transferred out of it. Mm. So there was an, how much it affected me, especially to see um, African American males, like young, young, yeah, like 19, 18, 19, 20 year old, like young, like yeah, yeah. young kids, mm-hmm. like killing other, like accused of killing other young, yeah, kids, young yeah. African American male kids yeah. over mm. bullshit. Yeah, like yeah, like, you can't like say weed. it, but I'll say it. Yeah, yeah, like like weed or some yeah. like some craziness, and I'm yeah. thinking in my mind, and I'm like, you know, I'm like, I guess you know, until you like you see it on a day to day, like you yeah. don't really, it's not something that's like a popular thing to talk about, but you see it day to day, like like yeah. day in day out, like like every other day, yeah, there's at least one or two cases that come into yeah. the jail where like not saying that, that you're not saying that that child, that kid, or let me say the young man is or is guilty of that crime. But that the fact that it's happening, yeah, you know what I'm saying, yeah. happening at a rate that's yeah concerning that should be concerning to a lot of people, yeah, but it's not. Like you go home, you turn on the news. It's not a thing that's mm-hmm. like talked about. It's like not a thing that's you know spoken about. But I didn't realize how much that weighed on me until I left, and I was like, it w- became. Because it was like I, I didn't I didn't want to feel like I was getting numb to it, but it was yeah. like it was a real concern about right. You know what are we? What is happening right now? What yeah. are we doing? Not that's not as a like as a judiciary and like as a you know as a people. What are we doing right now? Right to really stop this? Yeah, I mean it's, I can't say it's, ever, it's not ever going to stop stop because right. I mean people mean. Shooting people like that, like over nonsense, sort yeah. of like. But my dad was like in the projects in Key West, so it's not like a, yeah, you know, something's gonna like completely stop. But at right. the rate that it's happening, yeah, you know, 
that and that in in the in the over in accidental overdoses cases, mm. you know, the fentanyl stuff is like, you know, almost one hundred fifty thousand people in the last since went to the beginning of twenty one. So like the like the numbers are astronomical. I mean, it's, right. it's just uh, one of those things. Just there was a case I took. I took. I was one of the co-defendants, a bunch of co-defendants, and it was um, I had one of the kids, and they weren't really a part of the case, part of what happened, but. It was a murder, robbery, robbery, homicide, you know. And um, they robbed this other kid who was projecting on social media with all this, you know, he act like he had all this money. And uh, the thing was, made me really broke my heart. It was like five or six individuals that were on the, you know, um, accused. They killed this kid. But they robbed him um, because, and because they thought he had all this money. In reality, he really didn't have a lot of money on him, right? But here's the thing that broke my heart. First about the fact that somebody lost their life. He had fake jewelry on, and they robbed him of his fake jewelry and, like, for 60 bucks in his pocket and his phone. Mm-hmm. And these kids got thrown in prison, you know, some for life sentences. For, like, fake jewelry, 60 bucks, and a trap phone. Because he, you know, the guy on social media was acting like he was making all this money, but it was like, 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 this kid lost his life for nothing, and then these people sacrificed their life experiences for Everything. nothing, for Everything. nothing, and I was like, that broke my heart. Like I was like, he's, and he, they were like nineteen, twenty, twenty one, and I'm like, yeah. yo, for fake jewelry, my G, like this is. Yeah, I'm, and I, I think it hits, at least me, hits me home differently. Yeah, because you know. No, I, like I said, I, have, I had three teammates murdered. You know what I mean? I, have, mm-hmm. you know, and for craziness, mm-hmm. you know, like Sean Taylor. Mm-hmm. Sean Taylor gets murdered essentially by his brother-in-law, right? Because he's trying to rob him in his house, right? And accidentally, like, accidentally, really shoots him, right? You know what I mean? I have another teammate, Brian Pata, was like, you know, his accused murder right now is another teammate. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Um, T like with the guy that I went to school went to high school get murdered at a dice game, hmm. you know, and it's like, like all this life, yeah, like all this life just extinguished off of foolishness for, yeah. Well, I, I can't even explain it. Like I, yeah. I, I can't. My like somebody explain try it's like it's like, it's like why do you think this happened? I'm like, I I can't give them like, and it, I think that's more the frustrating thing. I can't give you an answer, a clear answer why this happened. Yeah. I can give you a bunch of social reasons that it yeah. could have happened. I can give you some, you know, they, uh, and try, and I can't say that I'm, I am not a, I guess a, you know, I am not separated by that life. Yeah. By, but very little. Yeah. You know, like for seriously, if it wasn't like my, my dad being my pastor. Degrees. And playing, yeah, yeah. We got this degrees. Yeah. It's like me, my dad being a pastor and me being yeah. like playing football. And that's basically where I spent most of my childhood. Yeah. And then like, it still left some space for things to go down. Right. And things that I saw, but like, right. You know, it it's still, you know, it's still a thing where I'm like, how, how is how much how much life needs to be dissipated, right? When we don't have right. a lot, like right. we don't have a lot. I mean, we talk about like representation on the bench. Yeah, we don't have represent male African American representation in a lot of areas. Yeah, we don't. I mean, and it's dwindling at a rate that's. It's it's bad, yeah. That's and, a whole and, that's a whole another podcast. By yeah, the way. I'm saying, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. We, but I agree. Yeah, we talk about yeah. you know diversity inclusion. We talk. Yeah. We, we do all these trainings. We do all these, you know, yeah. 
you know, we talk we talk a lot about this. Yeah. It's not a thing that we does not this non talked about issue. Right. But what exactly are we doing to translate that into right life saving mechanisms for these families? Yeah. For like these communities, mm-hmm. for these people. I don't I don't know, but I'm just it's a this is real facts. Like it's not, I mean I, I mean I can't, I can't give like you no know, political no, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thoughts about how they should yeah. handle it politically, you know, stuff right. to that. But I mean, I can talk to you about these are just mm-hmm. facts about living in our communities. Right Does now. this impact your the way you see sentencing? Well, well now you now you're on a civil, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, sentencing. And, and, uh, I mean, it, it, sentencing is you know a lot of it's very discretionary. Yeah, um, a lot of it is, but even then, you still have to look at. Statute, you had to look at you know mm-hmm. the things like the factors you want you to look statute the legislation wants you to look at right um, you know hear the arguments of the parties right. those kind of things like that and you know you got to based on the facts of the right. individual cases that right. you know, appear in front of you so it's a but you try to in that discretionary part do you try to impact some of your own history humanity into like how you see people in the case I let me say this I want to make sure I can answer that question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, probably, yeah, don't get in trouble. But, yeah, yeah. I'm not probably, I probably can't answer that question um, because you know the yeah, your rule. court won't let me do yeah, it. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think in any decision, a judge's experiences are going to play a part. Yeah, because I mean, in the, the day, we're judges right. all human. Right, right, right. You know, we're all right. You know, we're all human. You know, what I'm saying like you know, like yeah, same same way everybody else goes home and yeah. You know, wants to take their kids to play a sport or go watch a movie with their wife or right. go to dinner with their friends. And, mm-hmm. you know, we all have experiences that, you know, impact how right. we view the world. But I think it mostly, the most important thing about those experiences is how we affect each other as judges. Yeah. Um, where when we're, when somebody's, when we're having lunch or we're having a conversation about cases yeah. that, you know, we can weigh in mm-hmm. and, you know, point out something that another judge who doesn't have that experience won't see. Mm-hmm. You know, so like somebody telling a story about a trap house, right? I can tell you about a trap house, right? And in certain, <laughs> I, I, and, and this is why I can, I, see, I can see, I right, I, I've, yeah. been, I've seen them, I, you right. know, I, I've been in one of, right. I've been in a few of them, right? Um, I know what how they generally operate, how yeah. they operate, right, 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 right. So you know that gives them a view into a how, color into different scenarios, right. and this is why it's important to have a diversity in the bench, but also have more black male representation on the bench because we lose one, it. Severely undercuts, like not only representation in community, but just with interacting with other judges, which I've never heard of that before. But that's a great point. Yeah. Um. So I want to. We ran a little bit long, but um. I want to give you your pitch of why people should actually keep you on the bench. All right. So it's my pitch to keep me on the bench. <laughs> <laughs> it's awkward, right? Well, yeah. It's always, well, it's always, it's always interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm Andrew Bain. I'm, I'm your Orange County judge. Uh, I'm the one sitting in the seat. I'm the one with the experience to make the rulings and hear your cases. Um, I promise that I'm going to continue to listen, be a great listener. I promise I'm going to continue to apply the law and make it fair and as transparent as possible. And I want to bring all those experiences that we just talked about on this podcast um, from um, my, my living with all of you. I've lived with um, multiple cultures, multiple races, multiple socioeconomic backgrounds, all those understandings, everything's like that. I, all those things that I bring to the bench um, every day to work hard for you, um, continue to be dedicated, committed um, to serving you in Orange County. All right, dope. 
All right. I appreciate you, Judge Bain. Yeah. We out, man. Yep. Mm-hmm. Dear Black Culture, we just got done speaking with two judges who are running for seats here in Central Florida. I wanted to highlight them and their races, not only because it's coming up on the next 70 plus days, depending on when you decide to tap into this podcast, but also highlight how integral they are in the daily functions of our society. Oddly enough, despite society removing the politics from the judicial elections, the irony is that the human effect of impartiality is still a problem. Asking judges to remain impartial, yet telling them they must campaign is an irony only America can can concoct. But don't take my word for it. Heed the words of former Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. Quote, If the state has a problem with judicial impartiality, it is largely one that the state brought upon itself by continuing the practice of popular, popular electing judges. On this podcast, I make it no secret to focus on the interests and well-being of our black folk. Our culture, our livelihood is my focus. Everything black. So it only makes sense to focus on people who directly affect our black lives in the respective black robes. You see what I did there? So with that being said, it also makes sense that I write out with the appropriate song. But before then... I want you guys to do me a favor and remember to vote on August 23rd. So, but until that time, in time between time, I want y'all to stay beautiful, stay informed, and stay safe, and obviously stay black. So with that being said, we're right out to next time. Thank y'all for listening. Super. Good. Anglewood. Purple rain falling down on the prince of the coast where the sun shine all year round. Purple haze over landscape, still I hydrate in the lunch line with the smog and clouds. What? Start me out. Uh. This song's in the key of life, and love is in need of more. Young nigga from Inglewood, barefoot on the cedar floor. If black music is the blood, then my heart has been beating more. Rapidly, happily, I look back on a Phoenix Shakur, her son paved the way. Now all eyes on me. Cause I'm young, black, and gifted, Nina, all eyes gon' see If you swung back when faced with a challenge That's meant to break you and balance scales You ain't average, now throw your hands on three Gon' put them up for black, black magic. magic Black excellence, black habits This black medicine, everything black Black chucks, black chucks, everything Everything black Black hug, black love, everything Praise black Jesus, play black Moses Give them flowers while they still here, black roses Black child, black ride, everything. Everything, black pride, black lives, everything. Skin noir, friends noir, here you are, black. Everything you need, better believe you are that. Skin noir, friends noir, here you are, black. Every, every time they hear this, they gon' say he made an anthem. Life ain't a pan, this shit ain't black and white, it's a canvas. Spike Lee, your dreams, and Bruce Lee.